right, good morning, everybody. We'll go ahead and get started here today. This morning, as I said, we'll, have a, we'll take a, uh, well, we, we're, we've, we have finished up our best attempt at trying to get through our 52 favorite chapters. I think we made it through like 43, uh, so a little bit shy of our goal, but um, we will not have class uh, next week. When we meet back again, uh, we will be starting our study on the life of Christ going through 2024. So uh, we'll, we'll pick up on that when we join back together here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but this morning, let's start with our prayer request. Don't have anything new on here from last week, but once again, if you do have any updates, changes, corrections, or need to take anything off, please text those to Miss Laura and she'll get them updated for our prayer list. Um, but please be uh, faithful in praying for these prayer requests this morning. So let's open up a word of prayer. We'll get started here today. And uh, Brother George, if you would open us up a word of prayer, please. I do have to, uh, I do have to say a couple of things from last week. I got some feedback. Apparently, the tachos at Sweet Smoke are not a regular menu item. It's only on special days. But uh, I heard that it was a big hit. A lot of people were going there asking for it afterwards. So I'm gonna go get my commission check uh, afterwards here for all the people I sent their way. And then also, a proud patriot uh, went and knocked down the the uh, satanic uh, idol that was yeah. in the. Uh, the capital in Iowa. I, yeah, well, I, I feel a little ashamed. I feel like God was calling me to do that, and I didn't go. And then God had to send some Yahoo from Mississippi, and so I was like, I was so close. I could have gone up there in an afternoon, but uh, anyway, next time. We'll get them next time. <laughs> the next time they put a satanic statue in the state capitol, but anyway, man, what a, what a terrible state of affairs, and you know, I've even seen like, you know, I've even seen like you know, Christians defending the right to be able to display a satanic statue inside the Capitol. Can you believe that? There's Christians defending that, saying, well, you know, we have, you know, a First Amendment right, you know, freedom of religion to express our religion. And I just, I, I don't know, I mean, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, like uh, you, ever, you, know, you, you know, if you talk about the Second Amendment right, Right? They'll, they'll, well, there's limitations on that, right? There's, yeah, I, can't, I can't have a fully automatic machine gun. Neither can you unless you get some kind of special permit from the government. So they have limitations for that right. But then when it comes to freedom of religion, we can just display some satanic statue in the middle of the state capitol. And everybody's supposed to just stand there and, you know, just accept it, you know, because there's no limitations on that one, apparently. You can't yell fire in a theater, right? First, you can't do that. That's a First Amendment limitation of that right. But when it comes to religion, we can this is just... Because they're trying to destroy Christianity. And so they're trying to make that just, you know, you can just degrade it as much as we want. And we're going we're gonna to put you in the same bucket as Satanism. That's what they're doing when they do that. Whenever they, whenever they say freedom of religion applies to satanic statues in a capital, they're putting Christianity in the same bucket as that nonsense. And it's crazy we live in a country that we literally are trying to kick the chair from underneath us with a, a rope around our neck. We're trying to get rid of the one saving grace we have as a people, and that's Christianity. And we're trying to get rid of it out of our public... Uh, our public um, areas of, uh, of, uh, of uh, interaction, we can't, we can't talk about that. We can talk about everything else, though. But anyway, that's not my lesson this morning for Christmas. <laughs> but as I said, 
there, there, is, there, is a, uh, there is a GoFundMe for that guy. I would, I would encourage you to donate a couple of dollars for his legal defense fund. Uh, I think that was a, a, a perfectly appropriate thing to do, not even as a Christian, although I'm a Christian first, but as a patriot of America. I think that was a very right thing to do. Our <laughs> in Mississippi, who knows? Who knows? They're all related in Mississippi, by the way. They're all, they're all very close relations in Mississippi. All right. Yeah. <laughs> the family tree goes straight up. All right. Uh, all right. We're going to, enough of that. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, baby Jesus here today. All right. Uh, Isaiah. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Uh, so very quickly this morning, we'll go through. Uh, just wanted to talk about some, uh, obviously, we, you know, we understand this time of year, uh, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, you know, as the pastor has mentioned as well, you know, you know, I don't think anybody's saying that we know 100% for sure that Jesus was born on December 25th. More than likely, he was not born on December 25th. He probably was born closer to springtime. Uh, but, the, but the fact remains, we have a day set aside where we recognize that and we celebrate this gift that God gave us, the gift of his only begotten son. And so this morning, just for a little bit, I want to talk about some, uh, some reasons why um, uh, that Jesus was sent um, as, as a child in the flesh, as a human, why Jesus was sent uh, to earth. Uh, and, so, and certainly we know the answer, you know, he was sent to seek and to save that which was lost, right? But that wasn't the only reason that we find given to us in scripture on why God sent his son this earth. We'll spend a lot of our time this morning in the book of Isaiah. There's many prophecies that are given in the book of Isaiah, but we will finish in the New Testament in 1 John here at the end. But the first one I want you to see is in Isaiah chapter number 7, in verse number 14, uh, the verse here it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. What we see here is that there is a promise fulfilled. You, you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, that story uh, where uh, uh, Eve is, tempted by, the sa- is tempted, tempted by the serpent to eat that forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And she partakes in that fruit and then she gives it to her husband and he eats it at him. And then whenever God comes and he begins to question them, uh, they say, well, the, Satan is the, one that, or the serpent is the one that tricked us. And God gives a curse back in Genesis chapter 3. Well, let's just turn over there. We can read it uh, this morning just to remind ourselves what was said. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 14 and 15. It says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shall thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So we see here in Genesis chapter 3, the very first promise that God is going to restore things. God is going to set things right. And one of the things that he's going to do is bring judgment upon the serpent. Now, the, the, uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation who the serpent is. It talks about that old serpent, the devil, talking about Satan. And it's interesting what God curses the serpent with. He says that you're going to be uh, lowest of all the beasts of the field. You're going to be on your belly, and the dust of the ground is going to be what you eat. And what he was saying there is you're going to be humbled. If you know the story of Satan, he's a very prideful being. He's a very lifted up and haughty being. And what was God's judgment pronounced upon him? You're going to be brought low. You're going to be humbled. How are we going to do that? Through this enmity 
that word enmity means hostility. It means friction. It means division between your seed and her seed. And what is this promise that I'm going to send a, a Messiah down through the seed of this woman and it's going to bruise thy head. And this was this first promise. And in, in Isaiah chapter number six, where we started, or Isaiah chapter seven, where we started, we see this promise that God's going to fulfill, that he's going to send a, 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 a child through a virgin. She's, gonna, she's going to conceive and it's going to be a sign unto all the world. And what is this sign? That his name will be Emmanuel, meaning, meaning God with us. That God has fulfilled his promise. Can I tell you, this word, is, this word of God is filled with promises that God has given, and you can trust every single one of them. There's not been one promise that God has ever made that he has not kept. Every promise he's ever made, and we can count on God's promises. Whenever God said, I'm going to set things right, way back in Genesis chapter 3, we can count on God to fulfill his promise. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see one of the reasons why that God, what Jesus was sent to this earth was so that God could fulfill his promises. That every promise that God has given us, we can trust, we can count on. But not just to fulfill promises, but turn over a page in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Here we see another prophecy foretold about this child that's coming. It says in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Uh, shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace and why was jesus sent it wasn't just to show that god keeps his promises that whenever god said something he'll do it but also that he was sent here to bring peace that jesus was sent to bring peace now you may go back and say well jesus said he came not to bring peace but the sword and that was talking specifically about the division that would come between, uh, between people that accepted Jesus Christ and those that rejected Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, the end result of Jesus Christ coming to this earth is to, is to give us peace. And couldn't we use a little more peace today in this world right here and now? As we sit here right now, there are people going through war. They're losing loved ones. Innocent people are dying because we don't have peace. Well, we could use some peace in our own government, there are people that are protesting in the streets and, and, and doing all kinds of outlandish, foolish things because we have no peace in this world. And Jesus Christ was sent to be the prince of peace. Can I tell you that we, we may not be able to fix every problem out in this world here today. Now, God will one day. God's going to set it all in order one day. We may not be able to fix everything going on in Ukraine and in, in, in Israel and Palestine. But can I tell you, God can give you peace in your heart today. You don't have to wait for Jesus Christ to come back and set up his earthly kingdom to have peace. It's available to you right now. Matter of fact, whenever Jesus was going to be, he knew he was going to die the next day and he was having the last supper with his disciples. And what did, he give to, what did he promise his disciples? He said, my peace I give unto you. The peace of Jesus Christ is available. He is the prince of peace. Can I tell you, we should be thankful that Jesus Christ came not, to just, uh, not just to fulfill the promise of God, but also so we could have peace in this life here and now. Not only do we see that uh, peace was given through Jesus Christ, but turn over a few more pages in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49, in verse number 6, here's another, another blessing of Jesus coming in the form of an infant in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. What was, the other, uh, what was the other goal that he had in Isaiah 49, verse number 6? And it says, and he said, it is, a light, is it a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? And to restore and, and to and to restore the preserved of Israel, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. 
So why else did Jesus come? Not just to, not just to fulfill the promises of God, not just to bring peace, but also to be a light to the Gentiles. That's you and me, unless you're a Jew here this morning. The reason that we even have a chance of salvation is because there was a light sent to the Gentiles. That Jesus Christ was not just the Savior of the Jews, but he was the Savior of the whole world. Not just for a select group of people, but for every single person that's ever lived, that ever will live, that ever has lived. There's salvation available because there was a light given to the Gentiles. Turn your Bible over to Luke chapter 1. We're going to see a testimony of John the Baptist's uh, father. Uh, whenever he, if you know the story, he can't speak. Um, because whenever he found out his wife was Elizabeth, Elizabeth was pregnant, he kind of scoffed, and so he wasn't able to speak until the baby was born. And we see whenever he, be, he begins to speak that, um, that uh, Zechariah here uh, gives a prophecy, or he tells about a, a fulfillment of prophecy, a beginning, uh, we'll begin in verse number uh, uh, 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have uh, been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore unto our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge to salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring from on high visited us to give them light or to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. So we see his fathers prophesying about this light that's going to come and be a light that will be given to all people, not just to a select group. Salvation is available for, for all. Salvation has been, given, has been given to every nation, not just one nation. And this child was given, not just to, as, as Zechariah prophesied, not get, just given to the Jews, but a light for all people that they could come and be saved. And I'm thankful that God made provision for Gentiles. That he has chosen not just the Jews, but all people that can be saved. That God is a God of, full of mercy and full of grace and that we can have salvation not just for a select group of people. Turn to your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. We see another reason why uh, Jesus Christ was sent here. Isaiah 53 and verses 1 through 5. We see a prophecy foretold of the salvation and forgiveness that would come through this child. Isaiah chapter 53, it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there should be no beauty that we should desire him. This is talking about Jesus, the Messiah coming. And the Bible says that whenever people saw him, there was nothing special. He wasn't head and shoulders above every man. He wasn't on the cover of GQ. He wasn't something that anybody would look at and say, oh, there's the Messiah. No, he was just an average-looking person. Nothing would be out of the ordinary, the Bible says. But although he looked normal, what he did was nothing but... It says, he is despised, in verse number three, and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Why was this infant, this innocent child sent to bring us salvation and the forgiveness of our sins? That's why he came. This innocent child, we, if, you've been, uh, if you've ever been blessed to be able to have a baby, to have a little inf- innocent child and to hold it in your hands, and to think that there is a child that was given to, to die for me. Yeah. Amen. A baby was born, an innocent, innocent baby was born to pay for my sins. To pay for the evil thoughts that I've had, the evil words that I've said, the evil actions that I've done, the evil intentions in my heart. And an innocent child died for me. An innocent baby was given so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. This baby was sent and he was going to be stricken. He was going to be beaten. He was going to have stripes put upon him. And why was all that happening? So that I could be saved. So that you could be saved. An innocent baby was given so that he could pay for my sins. And, 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 and I, I don't know how people can think that there's not going to be an eternal judgment waiting for them one day. To know that truth that an innocent child was given, and not any child, but the child of God, the only begotten of God was given to die for me, to think you're going to stand before God and he's going to think sin is a light matter. That it's going to be a light thing to him, that we've, we've rebelled against him and that, and that, and that God's not going to have uh, an eternal judgment waiting for those that have rejected that free gift of his child, that his only begotten son. He was given, why? For salvation and for forgiveness, the Bible says in Isaiah 53. If you would turn over in your Bible to the book of Daniel, just continue to go towards the New Testament, a few more books, you'll come to the book of Daniel. And in chapter number 9, the Bible talks about another purpose of why this child was given. Daniel chapter number 9 and verse number 24, the Bible says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Here we see another prophecy here in the book of Daniel talking about this child that will be given. And why will the child be given? Why will this child be sent to this earth? The Bible says here in the middle of this verse, it says to make reconciliation for iniquity. To reconcile us to God. Whenever I hear that word, I think of a couple of stories in the, in the Bible. The first one that I think of is whenever uh, God called Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to make an ark. And the Bible says that he took gopher wood. And the Bible says that he pitched it within and without. He pitched it. And that word pitch that you read there in, in, uh, in, in Genesis is the exact same word that you read here in Daniel chapter 9, that word reconciliation. Now, what does pitch have to do with reconciliation or be reconciled? What was Noah doing when he was pitching the inside and the outside of that boat? He was sealing it up. He was making it sound. He was making it whole. He was making sure there was no leaks inside of it. He was pitching it within and without to make sure that the water on the outside couldn't get on the inside and destroy them. And when the Bible says that God is making reconciliation through his son, his son came to to make a sound to fill in all the gaps that we couldn't make for ourselves. See, our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. Even our best falls short of his glory. But Christ came to pitch us within and without, to reconcile us, to make us sound, to make us whole, to fill in all the gaps we couldn't fill for ourselves. He came to reconcile us, 
to repair those broken parts of us so that we could be presentable to God so the outside wouldn't get on the inside. He came to reconcile us to God, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 9. If you would just continue turning in your Bible, a few more books will come to the book of Micah. If you would turn to Micah chapter number 5, we see another prophecy given in the Bible about this child coming. Micah chapter number 5 and verse number 2. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from from of old, from everlasting. We see here in Micah chapter 5 a promise given not to Jerusalem, which would seem like that would make sense. If you're going to have a king being born, shouldn't he be born in the capital of that kingdom? He'd be born in Jerusalem, but it didn't say Jerusalem. It didn't say in Babylon. It didn't say in Egypt. It didn't say in some other great, powerful city in that day, in Nineveh. No, it was in this humble town called Bethlehem. A small overlooked little town that no one really paid or gave much heed to or attention to. But God said, I'm going to send my son to this town called Bethlehem. Now, if you were to study uh, uh, the Old Testament and what different cities were known for, what Bethlehem was known for was a couple of things. It was called the House of Bread. It was a place of an agricultural uh, type of a town. But also they had a, 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 large, a, large, uh, a large industry there that they were responsible for providing the lambs that would be sold and taken into Jerusalem on the day of Passover. See, when people came to Jerusalem, you're talking about a city that numbered sometimes, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And these people didn't all have room to keep sheep and to, and to have their own lambs. They had to buy lambs from rural communities so on the day of Passover they could sacrifice that lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of their house as they had done back in, the, back in Egypt. And so this town of Bethlehem was known for a place where you could find an abundance of lambs that were to be sold just in time for Passover. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the town that God chose for his son to be born on. That his son was born in this little town of Bethlehem that was known to be the place where all the lambs were born. And they would be taken into Jerusalem and they would be sold so people could offer a sacrifice on the day of Passover. It doesn't just remind me of this, uh, this story about Noah and being pitched within and without, but also the story that we see here of the Old Testament of the day of Passover as those lambs were slain. See, just like those people that were in Jerusalem, a lot of us, we couldn't, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't uh, have a lamb for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. We needed, to, we, needed to, uh, we needed to purchase a lamb from someone else that could be given on our behalf, and that's what Jesus Christ was for us. Whenever he was born, he became that lamb that we could use to make as our sacrifice. And so we see here this promise is given in Micah that although it was a small, humble town, it was a place that was a place of of priority because that's where the Messiah would be born. And so we see all these prophecies given to us in the Old Testament, but I want to finish here in 1 John, if you would turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, and we'll see a couple of more reasons why Jesus was sent to bring peace, to reconcile us, to bring us salvation to pay for our iniquity, but in 1 John chapter 3, we see in verses 5 and 8 a couple more reasons why the, why the Savior was given. It says in verse number 5, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. In verse number 8, it goes on to say, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this was the purpose of God, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, 
that he might destroy the works of the devil. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, whenever Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden fruit and all of mankind and creation fell, we see that Jesus was sent to take away sin. And the Bible even says in him was no sin. Can I tell you that um, I've, I've heard, and, I, and I've even, I think even, even myself have incorrectly said that Christ, uh, that, you know, whenever he was on the cross, he became the murderer. He became the, you know, fill in, fill in the blank. But the truth is he never, he paid for our sin, but he never became our sin. He paid for our sin. He took my place, but he was always holy. He was always God. He never, he never became a murderer, but he paid for the sins of the murderer. And we see that he was given to take away those sins, but not just take away the sins of verse number five, but also in verse number eight, to destroy the works of the devil. You know what the works of the devil were? He caused mankind to sin. He caused mankind to fall. That was the work of the devil. And what did Christ come to do? He came to destroy the works of the devil. To restore, to lift up that which was fallen. And, and one day, there's coming a day, the Bible tells us there's coming a day where Christ himself will reign upon this earth and it will set all things in order the way they should be. And even beyond that, the Bible says, even beyond that, there'll be, there will come a day where he will remake the entire world and all things will become new and all things will be exactly as they should have been from the beginning because Christ was sent to destroy the works of the devil, to set all things back as they should have been. There's coming a day we don't have to turn on the news and hear about a war. You don't have to worry about getting the phone call about your, your mother or your father or your children. You don't have to worry about being separated from those that you love. All things will be put right and in order, and the works of the devil will be destroyed. Why? Because Jesus Christ came to this earth in a stable, humbly in a little town called Bethlehem, laid in a manger to become our lamb for us. What did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. That's why he came. Of all people, we should be most blessed, most excited, most hopeful because of what Christ has done for us. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, day that we will remember the little infant that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And Lord, help us to Lord, not be... Um, just despondent because of what we see going on around us in this world. To not lose hope because one day, Lord, you will permanently destroy all the works of the devil. We thank you for your goodness. We do pray for the services to come. You be with the many visitors that will be coming to join us and see the kids in their play that, Lord, you would speak to their hearts through this retelling of this great story and then use the pastor as he brings a, a brief message to inspire us, Lord, to live for you and to convict those that are not, not saved and need to be saved, that you would speak to their hearts. The Holy Spirit would work in Christ, and we pray. Amen.